Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And before we go into today's episode with a lady I've only recently just met and who I think you're going to absolutely love, um, she's also one of the top 500 female founders and doing something extremely exciting that launches this year. Um, I am going to ask you a question. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast series? Because Maybe it's crossed your mind, uh, but you've got no idea where to start, or maybe you feel like your idea is not yet ready and needs a little bit more time, or you need to work on your voice. If any of those things are true, or if you've got all the kit, like many people that I also meet and have no idea how it works, um, I am running a podcast course with people like you at The Hub next month. The full details are on my website. That's resetrebelproductions.com. Or you can drop me a DM um, and we can discuss your idea to joe at resetrebelproductions.com. On with today's episode, and I've just driven past one of my favourite restaurants to get here today. Um, it's also one of the oldest, if not the oldest, uh, restaurant on Ibiza, and I'm very, very sad to say that it's actually closed. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I would have stopped off for a cheeky steak on the way here. Um, but this lady lives in the middle of the island on a beautiful farm, and I actually last spotted her at Campilop when she was getting engaged. Uh, but that is a whole other story. I'm not sure if we're going to be talking about that. But first off, let me welcome. Space Hero or co-founder and creator of uh, Space Hero, Deborah Sass, which I'm sure you'll agree is a great name. Sass by name, Sass by nature. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm great. And thank you so much for inviting me into your beautiful home for today's episode. Great. I'm going to learn how to be a podcaster like you. See you at the hub next week. <laughs> First up, um, cheesy question, but how much sass have you got in you um, on a day like today when it's absolutely bucketing it down outside on a scale of one to ten? Uh, about 11, as they say on Spinal Tap. <laughs> no, seriously, I, uh, I work on my own. I live on my own. And I actually looked out today and thought, shit, it's really grey. It's been raining all day. It didn't get light till 8.30 this morning. I couldn't take my dogs for their normal 5K every morning. And I thought, it's cool. I'm good. I'm, I'm actually really good. Nothing really changes my internal sense of balance. So I think that's good. Does that answer your question? It definitely does. And I think that's also quite rare, um, particularly, you know, in the sort of depths of deep midwinter which is exactly where we are you know third week of January I think a lot of people feel quite differently to you and, I, and I'm guessing you don't wake up like that sort of 365 days a year and I just wonder you know specifically because of the name of the podcast you know what do you do to reset if you don't wake up full of the joys of spring Yesterday, I woke up feeling really shitty. Um, it was the same type of weather. And I actually got up, let the dogs out, made myself a coffee and got back into bed and didn't feel guilty. But what I'm doing today to answer your question specifically is I didn't work out and I felt a little bit tinge of guilt. And so I made myself a little bathroom exercise like sheet of paper so every time I've gone to the bathroom today which by the way I must have a 
very weak bladder I've been about 12 times since 9.30 this morning. I literally have done 10 squats, 10 lunges and 10 uh, leg raises. And I've done that 12 times already. So that's how I have kept my motivation. And and I really think whenever you do exercise, it allows your endorphins to come out and it makes you feel better. So... That's a great answer. I did not expect you to be lunging in the bathroom. I mean, that's just uh, (laughs) the best reset we've had so far on 150 episodes. Um, You know, what brought you to the island? Obviously, you're not from Ibiza. I'm not. I've been coming to Ibiza for, I'm going to show my age here, but since my teens, I'm now close to 50. Um, and I always loved Ibiza, first of all, for the clubs and the scene and the music and everything that goes with that. Um, I actually moved to Bali about 10 years ago. I saw that ridiculous movie, uh, Eat, Pray, Love, and then went, that's it. I'm living my life, but I'm going to go live in Bali, which I lasted two years. I couldn't run a business or start a fundraise from three o'clock in the morning in Bali standards. So I actually moved with my then partner to Europe and we moved to Barcelona first. Ah, it's cool. It's it's edgy. It's small, but it's not as cool and edgy or small as Ibiza. So after eight months in Barcelona, moved to Ibiza and that was seven years ago. And you know, there sounds like a, a bit of a story in there because um, you're no longer perhaps, you know, in that situation and, and you've launched, you know, a very, very, very exciting business um, venture, which we're going to get into shortly. But, you know, how do you feel you've been here for what, five years? Seven years. And how are you finding it? I wouldn't live anywhere else. Absolutely love it. It is the people, the style, the mostly the climate. I mean, the last few weeks, not so much. But even in winter, I mean, look, I've had friends here recently from both Germany and London, and it was minus degrees in their countries. Here it was like 18, and we're all wearing hats and scarves. So, no, it's a great place to live. It's a very relaxing place to live. But don't tell anybody else that. <laughs> Well, I think the secret is already out on this uh, on this particular series, and um, yeah, that one that one's not going to work. But I, you know, you a co partner um, of Space Hero. Um, but before we get into you know that whole subject matter a little bit more deeply, I thought we'd just you know start off by asking who is your Space Hero because your dog is called Armstrong. <laughs> Yes, and he's here sitting on my lap as uh, you are trying to record, sniffing the microphone. Um, My space hero, that's interesting because even though I run a space company, I was never into space. I never wanted to be an astronaut. And I certainly am not a scientist or somebody from the military. So I don't know if I have a space hero because I I think that all the people I've met, especially uh, space enthusiasts and people who work at government space agencies in Africa, in the middle of Asia, in the Middle East, those are my space heroes because they're not what any of us thought existed we only see no offense but white american males and that's the space industry but it's not the space industry is as diverse as the people who live in ibiza so how come you called your dog armstrong (laughs) 
graphic. When I first got them, it was the day after lockdown. And I wanted, I, I never thought I'd get dogs, especially two of them. And it just seemed like funny names, Buzz and Armstrong. I was watching Toy Story with my nephew and it just rolled off the tongue and that was it. They stuck. There wasn't any thought process into the fact that Buzz and Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong are both white American men. <laughs> I mean, you know, you couldn't make it up, although it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't surprise me. When, you know, when did this concept of being in space fully capture your imagination? Is something you sort of used to dream about in your childhood? Is it something that's kind of developed over time from movies you've watched or people you've met? Like, how did it all come together? Uh, none of the above. Uh, I'm not interested in going to space. I was never interested in sci-fi movies. So actually, the way that this came about, it's a very funny story. My business partner, who you met, um, lives on a farm in Berlin, outside of Berlin. And he rang me about five years ago and he said this sentence to me. And we've known each other at that stage for about... 16 years and he said Deborah I want you to help me run Space Hero and I said Thomas sounds intriguing what is it and he said Space Hero is a global casting show giving away the biggest prize on television ever a 55 million dollar ticket for a 10 day stay to the ISS and I said to him fuck me that's incredible sign me up I'm in I just got one question. And he said, what? And I said, what's the ISS? <laughs> so that's actually really proof in the pudding. I knew nothing about the space industry and uh, had no desire to get in the space industry. But we're not really in the space industry. We're a media company. We are sending one lucky winner every year for the next 30 years on the, let's call it, the most expensive prize ever given out on television. And when I say television, I say that loosely. We come from broadcast. You know, we worked in media a long time. Television is not the way we think it is anymore. In fact, it's probably more likely to be Twitch and YouTube and Instagram Reels and Facebook. And by the way, that's about 4 billion people. That's hundreds of television stations. So it's a very different uh, very different economy and a very different broadcast field than what it was when you and I were growing up, Joe. This is true. This is definitely true. I mean, I, I, I'm. This is bizarre um, because you say you know that you're going to be sending one person into space for the next thirty years through. The, but this hasn't actually launched yet. No, it's not 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 uh, public at all. It's a very complicated business. We've been doing it now for almost five years. Um, we behind the scenes have been working with SpaceX and NASA. And by the way, there are sixty eight space agencies in the world. Most people don't know that. I didn't know that. Um, and during lockdown, which was the most uh, incredible quiet time for me on the farm but really the busiest time of my professional career I spoke to almost every head of every space agency in the world you know why because they were all at home just like I was so everybody was available to have a conversation so we've been working behind the scenes and also it's a 
very expensive business. I mean, buying a ticket, we, we're not, we're privately funded. So we're not billionaires. We don't have government funding. Um, we're not, unfortunately, in the space industry or trained astronauts. So raising that type of money is not easy. So that's been the sort of bulk of our time this in the last probably six months. I was just about to say, I mean, that's a pretty big bill to cover. Like, who who's going to pay for that? How are you going to find, if, if that's 55 million every single year for the next 30 years? I mean, that's, you know, maths is not my strong point, but that's a <laughs> hell of a lot of cash. Uh, yeah, so first of all, that's just the ticket. Then you need to make the show. And there's another... 40 million on top of that. So the whole project is around 100 million a year. Um, And we've actually raised quite a lot already, but not enough to, without saying anything, because we're not allowed to talk about a particular launcher publicly yet, but let's put it this way, there's only one company that the whole world knows that can send people to space and it's not NASA. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, NASA hasn't sent a human being into space in 11 years. So that company is a very, very private company, but a very publicly known company. So we need to come up with millions to put the deposit down and we're actually quite close so i hope to share with you and your your um, listeners uh, a an an announcement in the next three months that uh, it has become public so who funds it it's privately funded i mean myself and thomas have funded the bulk of what we've done so far and now we have just closed another seven million and we need another few million to be able to do the deposit and then we will be talking to brands and platforms and partnerships and then selling the rights through the normal kind of standard. You know, if you, if you know anything about TV, you can sell certain things to TV networks, to broadcast companies, to streaming platforms, and they pay big money for this type of content. Wow. I mean, that's quite mind-blowing, really, and quite a lot to digest there. I mean, I, th- I think I've seen on your, you know, your Instagram, for example, that you feel that space should be more accessible to everybody. And I kind of think that that's my opening gambit. Like, why Why do you think that? For all the reasons that you just asked me in regards to, you know, the space industry. The space industry today is only open to the smartest person in the room, so the person who's going to build the rocket or be an engineer or train to be an astronaut. And there, as I said, 68 countries have space agencies. Only 14 of those countries have ever sent a thing, not just a human being, but anything into space. Out of those 14, maybe seven, maybe six of them have actually sent people. So it's a hugely specialised field. And it's only really open to people who are trained astronauts, so government employees, military and billionaires. That's it. And if you look at the just under 500 people in 60 years that have been to space... The majority, as I said to you before, are unfortunately white men because that's really what the military and what the billionaires look like. Now, we want to change that. Why? Well, the biggest the biggest reason is because it shouldn't be like that. 
But space is expensive and space is complicated. I believe that if we're going to be a multi-planetary species in my lifetime, which I believe will happen, the, the, the technology is so far advanced, Joe, that it needs to look like the planet, like a microism of the planet. It needs to look like people like me. It needs to look like people like you. It needs to look like people from all walks of life. And I have no formal education. I barely finished high school. So I'm completely self-taught, self-made in a, a small little way. So if I can create a company like this with not having any formal education and I can potentially send somebody into space, why can't more people go? What what they're actually, you know, it's a big myth that you have to be Captain Bloody America to go into space. It's not the case at all. You don't have to be military trained. You don't. In, in fact, I'll tell you a different a different way of looking at it. The only two things you need to go into space is the ability to swim, and that your heart rate is normal. You're not on a pacemaker. Those are the only two criteria. You could be blind. You could be deaf. You could be uh, paraplegic. You could have diabetes. You could wear glasses. All the things that you're not really taught or told about when you're um, when when you know about space travel and you see astronauts doesn't actually exist. It, it's just created by the the government to stop people maybe from dreaming. Who knows? I don't know. You know, I, I understand it's complicated and expensive, but that's really it should be open to everybody. And that's the whole purpose of Space Hero. I mean, you say that you have no desire to go into space but I have seen a spacesuit on the back of your door in this house well I, I correct myself there I'd love to go to space now I didn't grow up wanting to be an astronaut that was what I meant but absolutely I will absolutely go to space when and as that uh, occurs <laughs> I mean I think it's a contentious subject in some regards and you know on the 11th of July 2021 um, Richard Branson and three other employees rode on a flight as passengers, marking the first time a space flight company founder has travelled on his own uh, ship into outer space, uh, according to the NASA definition of our space beginning at 50 miles above the Earth. And I think that was a moment in time and obviously a dream for a man like him, as you said. He's white, he's a man, he is a billionaire. Uh, he ticks all the boxes. So unsurprising that he managed to, you know achieve his his lifetime goal and I think fair enough if that was his burning desire and something that he has access to technologically and in terms of you know obviously <laughs> he set up Virgin and he's developed that over many 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 years but I think you know it it feels kind of intriguing that you know someone like Mr. Bezos um, owner of Amazon is also kind of heading down that road and I and I kind of think from that angle, yes, I can totally see why that you you know you feel that that opportunity needs to be opened up for for the masses. Um, but I just I don't know. It's is it is it it's an interesting one because I think in terms of flights in general and and the money and the costs and everything else that goes into it, um, you know, if you're going to piggyback like an existing flight or an existing um, company, then then I feel like, yeah, that's a really, it is, it is a great idea. It's a brilliant, you know, an exciting opportunity. But I think somehow the fact that all of this, as you say, is being developed by these extremely rich white men and, you know, when there's been a kind of a lot of looks at where, you know, should 
Jeff Bezos be pumping all of his money into kind of developing this kind of thing? Or should he be, you know, perhaps being a bit more of an evangelist and a and a man who is kind of helping out a lot of like proper problems in the world? Great question. And we get asked this all the time. Um, I'm going to answer this in a very succinct way. What what Bezos and Branson have achieved already is fantastic. They are pioneers. And I don't for one second um, want to ever, you know, discredit or discount the achievement that they've made. But Space Hero is nothing like that. First of all, we are a media company. Second of all, the access I'm talking about is to inspire the next generation of astronauts, of of people that want to be pioneers and explore and maybe not even work in the space industry. But by opening up the access to the most inaccessible industry in the world, let's face it, you can't really get into space unless you're really smart, you're in the military, or you work for a government agency, or you're a billionaire. So the only way you can talk to literally mass people is mass media and nobody's done it so far successfully so stems comes the the science technology engineering maths which is super boring comes from governments and yes i'm sure it's increased the um the interest from young people but every single person has some whether they like it or not, whether they want to fly or not, they have some awareness or engagement with space, with the universe, with stars. When they walk out of their hut, their house, their apartment, they know that there is something greater there than themselves. And in every generation, in every demographic, in every religion, in every gender, you have some awareness of space. All we want to do is harness that awareness in a slightly different way that comes from a media perspective that lets face it makes it a little more sexy cool and pop culture and by doing that we believe that we can inspire millions of people to maybe want to explore a business or an industry that they would never have thought about before because it was so unachievable it was so inaccessible and as I am as I said I have very little formal education if any at all but if I can do something like this and dream about the most craziest fucking idea ever and get to a point where I now sit on a board called the World Economic Forum board where I actually advise a whole range of topics with very smart people about the space industry globally. I mean, who would have thought that somebody who was coming from my background could even be at that point? How did that come about? <laughs> I swear I thought they were inviting me to make the coffee. That, that, that's a joke. I shouldn't, my my people were always saying, don't degrade yourself, Deborah, by saying shit like that. Um, so because of all these phone calls because of all these meetings with all these space agencies it wasn't just space agencies it was astronauts it was people who work in the space industry and I think Joe just from our few meetings I'm quite uh, an extrovert and I'm very direct when I talk so there's no misunderstanding when I say something I say what I mean I try to so I suppose my way of approaching the space industry was a little bit unusual and maybe caused some people to 
see this that wouldn't have normally met me. And so after a couple of years, maybe a year and a half of doing this very aggressive pursuant and getting basically making the space industry stakeholders in our business, I got a letter from the founder of the WEF and it said, Hi, Deborah Sass, we've been following you and Space Hero and we'd like to invite you to join the World Economic Forum board. And I was like, I sent it to my business partner. I was like, ah, so, so random. And he was like, well, not really. You've kind of been talking a lot and we've all been talking a lot in our little internal with the press, in the space industry and stuff like that. So it's not a surprise. We're not space people. We've come from the complete outside. But yet even NASA recognises that we've built the biggest space community in the world. And we're not even public yet. We work with more government space agencies and more private space companies than anybody in the world. And we're the new kids on the block. So yeah, it was when I, they had to vet me and it took months and, you know, I kind of was, it was cool, but I remember like it was yesterday, the first meeting right in the middle of COVID. So it wasn't, it was virtual, 30, 32 people on the call. And I knew every single person because I had been studying the industry. I'd been really trying to understand who the players were. So I knew all these people. One is the head of the UN for like, 183 member states like super important people and there's me and the sweat's dripping down my back and they introduce the two or three new people because every two years they bring new new I suppose board members and they they got to me and the guy who runs the that particular committee or board he said so I'd like to introduce you to you know our latest new member Deborah Sass and Deborah why don't you talk about yourself (laughs) I was like shit because I knew that these were like these were ex-astronauts. These were like people that run government departments and ministries and, and there's me. And so I just said exactly how I described the the space hero sort of beginning journey to you, Joe, is what I said for much, probably 30 seconds. And I had a couple of chuckles and a lot of smiles and a lot of kind of thumbs ups on the screen. And that was it. And that was a year ago. So, Cool. Oh my God, I am quite blown away by that. That's pretty epic uh, progress, as you said, from not knowing anything about space, not even knowing what the ISS was, to sitting on the World Economic Forum. I mean, hats off to you. That is amazing progress. And I, I think my first question is like, what, you know, what toolbox did you dig into to think that that would be a moment that you could shine in because that's that's scary stuff you know and and I'm doing a lot of this kind of work myself right now ahead of presenting on the TEDx in March but you know when you come into those moments like that when you're about to you know was it mostly men on the call out of interest oh of course (laughs) of course but there was it really does and and hats off to WEF for doing how they do it but it almost looked like a Benetton ad so yes there were probably male in fact I can tell you a real stat because we figured this out after the call. I, being a woman of colour, actually put the, the the tally to more women than men. So not everybody was on the call at the same time. So I, I when I counted them up from the actual bios on the website, there were, I don't know, 17 men and 17 women. And then with me, it was 18 women. So I actually put it into more women than men. So that was cool. Now, Toolbox... 
I don't have one. I can tell you right now, again, this is something I think about a lot. How do you go from being nervous and being insecure to not? And the simple and only answer I can give you is that I just have never, ever second-guessed myself. I'm always a little nervous. I'm always a little bit anxious but there's something in my head that doesn't register that fear and it puts that fear in a positive way so it helps me be slightly more aware of what I'm saying and if I wasn't nervous if I was overconfident maybe I wouldn't be as concerned maybe I wouldn't stop and think about the words I'm using the language how that might fall on somebody you know so I just have literally spent my life always being the minority in a room from years of being in the media world, from running my own business, trying to raise money. You know what it's like trying to raise money for an idea that people are going, what the fuck do you know about TV? Uh, Nothing. What the fuck do you know about space? More than nothing. Like, what the fuck do you know about a global reality TV show? You don't even watch TV, Deborah. So to overcome all of those, you just keep going. You just keep going like that. You just keep going you just are passionate about something and you have absolute blind faith in your own ability where does that come from because it sounds like perhaps you might have felt compromised um in the scenario that you're actually in if that's what you know you're saying you've always been in the minority so you've had to dig deep into something some kind of pot of gold that's in there from from somewhere where does that where does that come from Um, It's funny because I didn't notice any of this until the last five years. I I never thought of myself as a female of colour entrepreneur. Only people have asked me that or said, so what's it like and and where do you get that energy or where do you get that confidence? I I think that I grew up in a very simple council flat in or a council house in, in the UK in the 70s and 80s. And the racism was... I mean, it was everywhere. I mean, I couldn't walk to school without somebody screaming at me and trying to push me off my bike or whatever. But, you know, you can either let it define you or not. My parents, who were, my mother was a model, my dad was a jazz musician, were not only beautiful looking people, but they also weren't very dark. They're definitely ethnic, but they weren't very dark. So they kind of fitted in maybe a little bit better maybe um and they never made myself and my sister ever feel like we were any different from anybody else we didn't even really what do you mean I'm not the same color as everybody else what do you mean I'm not white what do you mean like it was just a we never thought about it and so I think really I would give my parents credit for giving me this sense of self-confidence and blind faith I also think there's something about nurture versus nature you know inherently I might come across as a very extrovert person and I I do refer to myself as an extrovert but I spend most of my time alone I spend most of my time at home and I if I don't leave my property for a week it actually doesn't faze me whatsoever if I have to go and get some groceries and I grow most of my own vegetables here um, I always find myself slightly overwhelmed by just being in a space with lots of people so I think I was like a fake extrovert for a long time and now I spend a lot of time on my own but I do believe that being confident you can learn it for sure but it's probably a little bit of I was born with it as well. 
It's just very interesting because I think a lot of people, you know, take on a coach. I mean, there's a lot of coaches around at the moment after COVID. And some of them are, you know, obviously incredible at what they do. But I also think, you know, it's hard to find the right coach. So I just, you know, I think there's a lot of people that maybe think that that is a good path. But I also genuinely believe, as you say, that there is a certain amount of work that can be done internally and from spending time alone and through, I just think be prepared or prepared to fail is one of my main things for confidence. If I feel like I've done all the research and I have all the information on board and I know exactly what I'm talking about, then what is there to be nervous about? It's not not in there. If it's in there, then I'm not nervous. And I think that's probably the only thing that I feel confidence comes from for me personally is knowing that I'm in control not just a conversation but just of a situation that you know I'm not just talking out of you know a place of doubt it's coming from a place of certainty and if I'm sure about what I'm saying then you know I can walk into any situation feeling apprehensive definitely it's just the unknown you know the unknown is a is a it's not even a scary place. I think we've just all been there for the last few years. And I think that has been my life for the most part to, to not really know what's necessarily around the corner. But I think that's an exciting place to be. And, you know, I like excitement when it gets a bit static and boring, then definitely I just want, you know, I want to find the new thing. So, you know, you're obviously on this trajectory of like extreme uh, roller coaster ride of, of of major excitement and you're learning and you're growing and you're meeting you know very inspiring intelligent high powered people um but that doesn't come without you know some kind of payoff i suppose and and when you know when is this show um launching and what would be the format actually interestingly enough i'd like to know maybe you know what the plan is how does someone win um this 55 million pound ticket just before I answer that, Joe, I want to say I want to add something to what you just said because it's a really interesting point. Not just being prepared because I think it's so important, but also being able to admit like when I say publicly, I mean if if I'm talking to you on the phone and we're talking about something um something space related and I don't know, I never pretend that I do. I always say, "Hey, Joe, I really don't understand," or "Could you give me a bit more intel?" or "Let me get back to you because I want to find out and I will answer that." You know, I, I never try to fake it till you make it, which I know a lot of entrepreneurs do. Um but it, it's it's also, I hear that people say this a lot more now, and not just since COVID for maybe half a dozen years, this imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, and I had that my whole life. I never thought, I thought somebody would go, well, what the hell are you doing here? Like, what the hell do you know about blah, blah, blah. But nobody ever has. <laughs> I've just kept going, expecting it sort of around the corner for that to happen. But my point is that to be vulnerable with the confidence that, you can learn something that it's not a whether it's weakness or not being vulnerable makes you stronger because it makes you open to learning something new and a lot of people you know a lot of people in my my industry as in raising money or media there it's all blah 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 you know fake it till you make it and there's got to be a degree of that for sure I couldn't keep having calls hundreds of calls where I'm rejected time after time after time without it getting to me 
The difference is I never gave up. That's the only difference between me and every other person that tries to change some small part of their life or their business or their financial situation by coming up with something new. They just don't give up. That's very interesting. And, you know, obviously that's what you read on Instagram that you should never give up. And, you know, but I do feel like there is a power in persistence. It's it's definitely something that I've experienced a lot of. You know, I've definitely, even just making this podcast, you know, it's been a real journey of observing my levels of consistency. And, you know, um, I was chatting to somebody actually, literally just before I came here at the Hub members lunch. And you weren't choosing your own seating. You actually get seated. So I was like, oh, here we go. Like, who am I going to end up having my lunch with? <laughs> Just being honest. And um, I actually sat down next to a, an Italian sexologist um, who of also... Course, like you do. <laughs> an Italian sexologist. Only in Ibiza. A bit of polite chit-chat over the old dinner table. I said, like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a psychologist. Oh, what kind of psychology do you specialise in? Oh, sexology. I was like, oh, it's very interesting. Um, obviously, I had lots of pertinent questions over our uh, sweet potato curry. Um, but she then revealed that she has a podcast and it's had over 2 million downloads. And I said to her, well, that's incredible. Like, tell me all about it. So she did. Um, and she said, it's been going for five years, which we will have been in about two months time. And I said, oh, how many episodes have you got? And she was like, oh, I'm on episode 79. So I was like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. So you're not, you know, you've not remained weekly, which I was suddenly, I just had this moment, like this eureka moment. Like last year was the first year in five years I managed to make an episode every single week, 52 episodes. And that felt like a real, you know, something like a real achievement actually just not giving up on this quite large chunk of time that I had to dedicate to doing this every week because I just love doing it and I can say to myself haven't got time this week don't feel like doing it too tired not being paid etc etc but it's something that gives me back up for everything else I do just because I've done it because I said I was going to do it and just to keep on doing it not giving up on making something and creating something and being consistent and committing and you know it was very inspiring actually to listen to what she had to say I think obviously talking about sex is a little bit more in demand than interviewing the rebels and the <laughs> you know the, the wonderful people that live on Ibiza but I felt you know fascinated because Spotify have just reached out they want to take it over they want to do all these interesting things and I think you know the magic stuff happens when you keep on doing the thing that you said you were going to do even on the days like yesterday when you woke up and you just felt like a dog's dinner and you didn't want to you know you just want to go back to bed and you didn't want to bother and but you know the, the power of of continuing with something is 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 really hard in a place like Ibiza as well I think specifically maybe you're not finding that so much living you know, on a beautiful farm in nature. But I think a lot of people get distracted and sucked into all sorts of things on this island. So it's quite incredible that you've actually managed to achieve, you know, we're not quite there yet, but you're almost there. You're very close and you're doing epic stuff. But it's it's amazing to hear this story about doing the kind of work that you do specifically on an island like this. And do you think people take you less seriously because <laughs> you're in Ibiza? In the beginning, I actually wouldn't say that I live here because I could see the eyes like, oh, my God, is she doing drugs right now? Is she like dancing? It was like a crate. But then the Ibiza uh, living here has become a little bit of a calling card because people find it absolutely fascinating what you live on. First of all, 
most Americans haven't heard of Ibiza. That's the first thing that I, especially Americans of a certain age who basically run the space industry, put it that way. Some of the cool ones know about it or their kids know about it or they're actually people that have been here. The majority of people, when they realise that I live on a farm, because when I'm on camera, I'm always quite... You know, I look very conservative. I might have like a swimming, swim, my bikini on underneath, but I've got like a smart shirt on and a bit of lipstick. And I try to be very conservative in the way I dress. So they see me in a certain way and they don't ever expect that I'm not in an office or I'm not in a city or I'm not in a big country. They And when they hear that, so no, it, it, now it doesn't, it for sure is a, a better thing. But you were saying about being consistent and congratulations for doing a podcast every week. Um, I can relate because of the struggle I've had with my weight. It's, it's a very small subject for me. It's not the means of my whole life, but it's a very consistent suffering for 25 years. And I know many, many women relate to this. And what really changed my dynamic was being persistent and consistent, little small things every single day. So when I said to you, I felt like shit and I went back to bed, I did get up and do six hours worth of work from 12 o'clock onwards I normally get up at six and I normally am busy and doing all this stuff so I, I did it I just did it at a later time but going into the bathroom today because I pee so much so annoying and doing squats it made me feel like I'd accomplished something and it was easy to do 10 squats 12 times that's 120 squats right but that's actually doing something that's like a 10 15 minute workout I just spread it out over four hours so I always try to think of what I can add instead of I should stop drinking or I need to eat less or I need to. It's always about what can I add more and just very small little. I mean, you do this already, Joe. So you are already an inspiration to your peer group. And I hope that when people hear that even confident people and even people who are doing something different, we still lose our confidence, but it's just that we don't let that make us fail. We don't let it define us. You know, it kind of makes us even stronger, makes us even more persistent to to, to succeed. Now, I think that's really important. I love that. What can I add? Because it's bloody January. And actually, the last time I came round here was when, when we had quite a few glasses of wine. And, and I was like, oh, God, but it's January. Should I be really be drinking? And I just thought... January is a miserable bloody month. I was ill for the first two weeks and then I just felt extremely overwhelmed by life because I was behind with everything. So I spent two weeks in bed and I felt borderline depressed because I was just in a panic. I was in a flurry. I was behind with everything. My deadlines were in a pickle and I just thought, Christ, you know, I think going completely cold turkey and just not having any kind of fun in my life and it all feels a bit draconian was just not what I needed actually. And that's, you know, interesting, I think, to sometimes observe that, taking everything out all of the fun stuff in life and suddenly going on this kind of drought just felt the opposite or the antithesis of what I really needed to keep the you know to keep the fire burning and I kind of really needed to like move forward so I love the way that you say that you you think about what you can add rather than take away so let's get on you know to this wonderful show that you're creating I'm absolutely I have no absolutely nothing about it so do tell good you're a space hero virgin Woohoo! Um, very simply, because it's not complicated, this is a casting show. So there's been dozens, if not 
hundreds of casting shows all over the television, all over the streaming platforms, all over the world for more than two decades. Think cooking, think models, think talent, think singing. So all of those are genres. Even now, I think there's sums about dogs and in the in the dog shows and the top models and the master chefs. These are all the same format. Maybe the storyline is different, but the format remains the same. It's a casting show. People get auditioned. They get onto the show. They're on the show. There's activities and challenges. Each week, somebody gets, I used to say, executed. That's not the right word. Not executed. Um, uh, you know, when somebody gets thrown off the show each week. Ejected. Ejected. <laughs> not, not executed. Let's not execute yeah, anyone. I mean, not, you know, it's, I know it's January, it's but... Not, it's not the Hunger Games. Not executed. <laughs> yeah, ejected. So, you know, the, these people would go each week and, and at the end there'd be a winner and that winner would get a prize. Exactly the same format. We do not want any of the viewers, first of all, to have to learn anything new because people are in inherently lazy nobody needs to learn anything new secondly it cannot be boring i don't watch science shows and i sure as hell don't watch space shows so i'm kind of like a little bit of the 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 target market like somebody that's it's got to be a bit fashionable a bit cool bit pop culture bit sexy bit of drama bit of confrontation but still keeping the seriousness of learning how to go into space but keeping it cool and sexy in fact we've just announced uh, it's not public but of course I'd love to share with you and your your uh, audience that we have uh, signed a, an agreement with a brilliant production company out of Los Angeles but they're global and they are the the company behind Amazing Race which if anybody doesn't know it it's been on television for 30 something years it's in 45 countries and it's basically a treasure hunt except the prize is a million bucks and it's been created by a rock star producer who's now in his 80s uh, called Bertram van Munster who's actually Dutch but he lives in LA so it's very, it's one... Bertram Bun Munster. Van Munster. <laughs> I think he said Bun Munster then. I was like, blimey. <laughs> Bertram Van Munster. I'm sure. Well, if he gets to hear this, I'm sure he'll have a laugh. Hello, Bertram. Hello, Bertram. So his producers are producing our show. They've also done uh, Survivor. They've also done Big Brother. So these guys are absolutely stellar and they're rock stars all around the world. They have 45 crews in 45 different countries which is amazing already most production companies don't even have more than a couple um that's the first thing so the show itself will be launched at some point fingers crossed drum roll in the next three months and what will happen is we will make an announcement with can't say the name but the only launcher private commercial launcher in the world that can take people into space Potentially the owner has also bought a very big media platform called Twitter. I'll leave the rest up to you guys. So we will also announce a partnership with them. In other words, we are they are our vendor. So we have bought the ticket from them. That's the big, big, big money ticket. And they have all the rockets. So they have they're basically like the the airline, right? But it's not an airline, it's a rocket launching company. And then we open the applications up to the public. And the way we'll do that is we have our partners in India have the biggest, sorry, not in India, they're in uh, Singapore, but they're the biggest uh, content creator network in Asia and actually in the world now. They started in Asia and now they're all over the world. They have 20,000 influencers, content creators on their network. 
So for you and me, this is 1.3 billion subscribers to their channels every month. It's something like 30 billion views. Don't ask me how that works because there's not even 30 billion people, but it's people passing it along and watching it more than once. So we launch with an announcement with all of those people telling their subscribers, their followers, their communities about being able to apply for free and you send a little video and it can be on any platform you want TikTok, it could be on on instagram reels it could be on youtube we have channels all over everything's already registered and done we just have to turn it on um and the theory is is that millions of people will apply because they want to go to space or they want to be part of this or they want to watch their friends doing it and that's the beginning that so yes when you say we're at the end we are at the end of the beginning <laughs> the beginning of the end no definitely not yes. that one no definitely not that one i keep saying that it's the end of the beginning the end of the beginning oh it sounds very dramatic indeed i mean my mind is slightly blown there i can't deny i'm almost thinking oh my god maybe i should apply um obviously that's probably what's going to be going on in everybody's mind and um let's you know hope. let's hope that's going on in everybody's mind yes <laughs> sorry i mean obviously you said you've met all the heads of the different space stations of which there are 68 and only you know five or something are actually launching things People. physical uh items into into the the ether um but you know you must have then had a little chat to to mr musk um not directly with uh, mr musk but we work very closely with his team who are i suppose one one degree of separation from Mr. Musk. (laughs) So yes, and we've been working with them for four years now. We've been many times to their, well, they're not really offices because they're actually building the rockets on site. It's incredible. It's like the biggest uh, mechanical workshop you've ever seen with 5,000 people in several hangars just on the left of LA, LAX, of the Los Angeles airport. It's in a place called Hawthorne on Rocket Road. I think they created that whole road for them because <laughs> they put so much money into the industry. It's in- incredible. I've never seen anything like it. Boeing, the biggest airline company that most people will know who create airlines, is also behind the scenes the biggest space company or used to be. And they helped NASA for many, many years. They built the space station for NASA with NASA. So we went in the same week, we went to SpaceX, I suppose, factory, and we went to the same Boeing factory. Now, Boeing is probably nobody under 50 that I noticed when I walked around for about a day. And lots of scientists, everything's a clean room, you've got to wear a hat and booties on your feet and things on, you know, they, they try to keep everything clean and not bring in germs. You walk into to SpaceX, Elon Musk's factory in, uh, in, in LA, and nobody's over 30, maybe 35, like everybody on the floor. There's like sparks flying, there's people screaming at each other, yo, send me that tour. Like, it's like incredible. They're 3D printing bits for the rockets, they're putting it on the rocket. You can see the whole thing, you can't film anything, yet I don't know if anybody has been able to do that. It's absolutely the new space age compared to what was the space age it's very interesting can i come with you next time you go (laughs) yes as long as you don't have a criminal record because they check your passport and if you're not background checked you can't get on the floor 
I I'm good to this. go, I promise. I, I know this because this, she's doesn't obviously does not have a criminal record, but our lawyer, we didn't realise she was Canadian. She's not American. Right? Well, we, she, had a Canadi- she has a Canadian passport and they wouldn't let her in because they hadn't background her because I assumed that she worked for an American firm and they were like, uh, no, you're not coming in. So she had to ring the State Department. It took five hours and we got her a bus and she came in. But very funny. I mean, she's our lawyer. In- so you can't go into space if you've been a naughty girl. <laughs> you can't go into the SpaceX factory. You may be able to go into space if you're a criminal. But who knows? Look at Australia. It started by criminals. <laughs> yes, let's not go there. I think, well, I think actually half of them used to live here in the 60s and the 70s before uh, before things straightened out just uh, a little bit. Not, not that much, but just a little bit. Um, I think, you know, this is unbelievable are they going to call this road space hero road can we apply to the the uh, yes. ibiza government let's do it let's call the camino space hero yeah space hero road so I, I just wanted to say one thing joe about the show so when we make this announcement anybody can apply for free and will always be free and then the theory or the the format is very straightforward 20 out of the millions of people who apply they will go into kind of like an app right and we will use algorithms and voting criteria and people's profiles to funnel it down to the 24 finalists 12 men 12 women 12 from developed countries and 12 from developing countries very important to make that distinction never happened before if that you can even believe. And those 24 people will then be living in what we're calling the space village. So think about like a a dorm, but it's going to be all about training light to be an astronaut. So it'll be like um, zero gravity flights. And you know, the thing with that people have to turn around and you see their cheeks moving and they're throwing up and all these, it's called a centrifuge, by the way, all these incredible vendors that we've spent years building relationships with in all the different countries in the world will all be part of this space village. And for three months, that's where the 24 contestants live. And there's going to be the cool factor. There'll be a bit of drama. Hopefully it's not who's shagging who or who's got bigger boobs. You never know. You never know, exactly. You never know how it goes with people. But those 24 are all pre-approved to fly. So we know that it's now based... Because, by the way, going to space is not about being the smartest or the most physically fit it's also about your emotional intelligence and people don't get that think about this kitchen if there were six people in this kitchen 24 hours a day for like five days who knows who could kind of be dramatic or get really upset so we have to test the 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 physical fitness the mental agility and of course the emotional intelligence so we call it the the sort of trinity the holy trinity of who will be the space hero because let's face it the space hero the first one will be the most famous person in the world to date because they will be the first normal person voted by the globe voted by humanity to represent humanity in space i'm getting goosebumps and i've said that seven thousand times <laughs> i literally am <laughs> mega goosebumps did, did you have any uh, media training for this out of interest uh, yeah yes no, no it's good no, it's, it was, it, who went, i don't know who she was but she's great not for space hero but for my last company yeah i had reg- regular media training no, I can tell, but she was good. Was it a she? No, it was a man. 
No, I'm just intrigued because it, it comes across, you know, you're, you you speak in a, in a really great way that gets me extremely excited. Like I'm actually on the edge of my seat waiting for this application process to, to open up. And I hadn't really thought about, yeah, what that actually could mean for that person. I think, you know, just one question, like for me, in my mind, I'm always kind of thinking about that image of that rocket that, you know, kind of blew up when it took off. And I, and I, and I wonder without wanting to kind of, you know, put out the fire in any aspect at all but I just wonder like what is is there any risk factor of going into space these days like what you know obviously you have to sign away your documents and whatnot but I, I guess my question being a bit of a scaredy cat about flying in general you know what what are the risks of um of not making it back down to planet earth so what you're referring to is the challenger and in fact I remember I was at school in Australia no probably sorry in the UK um and I remember we were watching it as a as a class and in fact thousands and thousands of classes didn't believe me when I was that age I didn't think I'd be having this type of conversation all these years later um, and there's a huge risk Joe there's a huge risk yes everybody could die what you didn't mention and maybe maybe the news came up when you looked into Branson but the first time he tested that same rocket both the people, or one person died, the, cap, the captain died, or the pilot, and the other person that was in that, doing that test flight, also is, I think, terminally uh, injured. Um, and they don't talk about it so much, but that was actually why it's then taken him another almost 10 years to get to the point where he could, in fact, maybe even longer. But it's, it's very sad. The thing is, when you look at the amount of flights that go into space, you look at the amount of people that have gone into space, there is as much risk as getting on a plane in that regard. There are so many contingencies and NASA is, I mean, the the 50,000 people that work for NASA, literally all of their jobs in some degree is to make sure that it's safe enough to fly human beings at some point. And so far, you know, there's been a lot more that have gone and been successful than not. But it's a very real, very real risk. And it's a risk that, yes, you know, we want great things. Who doesn't want to see space or at least know somebody that goes to space or somebody that relates to them, that is relatable? This is the thing about Space Hero. When I look at poor, poor little Buzz, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, by the way, 93 and he just got married like a week ago. Hello! Buzz Aldrin literally just got married. Anyway, cra- crazy story. But when I look at... Um, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, you know, back then, they were considered rock stars. They were considered gods. But yet, can you name any astronaut in the last 20 years that you know of? Probably not. It's kind of like they are the real rock stars of the world. And yet we know nothing about them. And they are, again, they are so unachievable, unreachable, because they're like these, they were like these gods. Now it's just such a closed wall that you don't even know the people. I mean, you barely know them when they come back to Earth. And yet there has been just over 600 people who have actually been to space, about 60 of them in the last couple of years. I think... Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, no one's ever going to forget the names of um, of Lance Armstrong and... um, Lance Armstrong? Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not going to forget the name of Neil Armstrong. Definitely not. Um, (laughs) But the space hero 
is you know of course is going to be like a rock star but that person has to be fearless that person has to want this hard yeah and that's that's exactly what the space hero 12 week show will do is it'll weasel out anybody who's not strong enough you are going to represent humanity for the first time as that person you better be strong you better have integrity you better have a moral compass you better be fearless you better have emotional intelligence you better take the responsibility of this project very seriously and so it's not for the faint-hearted but here's a here's a little stat for you when dear moon if anybody's interested they can look it up but it was the last um competition that went out from a billionaire in japan but globally and he paid 800 million dollars to elon musk two years ago to buy a starship they have not even been finished built they have not been tested nobody's been on them there to take a hundred and something people to mars and potentially bring them back down again that's the theory now he put out this press release it went all around the world especially outside of the space industry they had a million point five applicants from all over the world in 36 hours just like that that's a stat you can look it up it's you know it's on there on all sorts of different websites not just theirs so we know that if we fail we're going to have at least a couple of million people who'll apply. And I say that loosely. What we want is to be able to have a global audience that is literally watching. It's only going to be the last 24 that get to be on the show. But we want people to be inspired by by other people that are relatable to them. So if they look like them, if they come from a similar background, if they didn't have access and they didn't have education and they come from a poor village in Africa or from a suburb in New York, there is some relatability which none of us have with any astronaut to date because they're only military billionaires or government employees or scientists well bags you not sift through two three four five six million applications that sounds like an extremely tricky task and it's going to take you rather a long time i would imagine to sift out the the correct combination and you know complementary or i don't know whether you're going down the big brother route and trying to pick people that are deliberately going to do each other's heads in could be entertaining um i can't wait to see this i cannot wait to hear you know all about it when it when you know when the launch happens do keep us posted i know that we need to keep our eyes on uh, on the prize and um certain platforms and um, when the announcement comes but we're going to follow you i'm going to link um in the show notes to your instagram page and you know obviously all the places where people can find out when that application process opens we've been talking for more than an hour it feels like about 10 seconds and thank you so much for making time to have me over and uh, again the, the second time in a month in january um and yeah i wish you all the luck with it it sounds incredible and massive congratulations Thank you very much. And thank you for being here. <laughs> Go Space Hero. Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel.